Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, this is Stemage from Metroid Metal, Steven Universe, and Viking Guitar Live. And you're listening to The Budget Arcade. gamers and welcome to Budget Arcade, a free-to-play gaming podcast to help you navigate through the growing realm of free-to-play games. I'm Scott. I'm Jeff. I'm Elliot. And welcome to episode number 31. Just to recap, we play a free-to-play game each week and then we review it. But this week we are interviewing Mr. Ian Tournay. Welcome, Ian. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for coming. So Ian works for Phoenix Labs. I do. Phoenix and Labs in beautiful Burnaby, Canada. you are a producer there. I am. I am a producer on a game called Dauntless. Amazing game. We uh, reviewed that a few episodes back. It's actually our most listened to episode as well. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Well, thanks for playing and thanks for sharing the love and uh, thanks for thinking so highly of it. It's a. It's definitely a labor of love for all of us, so we're always happy to uh, really meet anyone who's played it, uh, good or bad. We love feedback, but um, always a little nicer to hear it when people like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All three solid. of us totally liked it. Don't go back oh, and good. listen. No matter oh, what, yeah. don't <laughs> yeah. listen. Well, it's not. Well, I I would love to hear if you have. I'm 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 uh, remiss to say that I haven't listened. So if you do have any feedback, I'd love to talk through it. And um, I always think it's interesting if we want to talk about it too. If you want to get into any of the complaints you have, I can talk about you know why we made the decisions we did, and that's kind of an interesting insight. But I, I'm here to talk about anything you guys want, and you know, not every game's for everybody, so you're not going to hurt my feelings. Well, here's the issue with that. That would require me to know what I'm talking about. And so <laughs> I'm yeah. just I'm just one of those internet trolls. I get on there. I'm like, yeah. the game's trash. And then I move on with yeah. my day. Yeah. Well, I've been in the industry for 11 years, and I still don't know what I'm talking about or doing. It hasn't stopped <laughs> me. So I figure let's go for it. Yeah. All right. So the way we usually do this is we do a uh, round robin of uh, questions for our guests. Uh, Jeff, do you want to start? Yeah, off? absolutely. So... Um, my son, we were talking about having kids, and my son is big into games where you build things. So like Minecraft and Mario Maker, if it has a level editor, he wants to play it. And he told me the other day that he wants to make games. Uh, so someone who's in the industry and, and, you know, I've got an aspiring game maker, what path would you take? What advice could you offer to someone who's looking at uh, making games their li- their livelihood? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I So my background before I became a producer was in community. So this is one of the questions that I get the most frequently, you know, conventions at, on panels and things. Um, one of the, one of the things that people used to say in response to this question, the traditional answer used to be passion. It used to be, you have to be passionate because the games are hard to make. Um, and I, I tend to shy away from that. Like, obviously, you know, you need passion to be successful in anything, but anymore games are the, the way that games are made has changed. Um, it used to be, um, you know, 10 dudes would get in a room and crank all night and listen to death metal and passion was the trick because really you were you were making things and doing things that computers weren't intended to do one of, one of my favorite but anyone who wants to make games one of the best books you sh- can read is masters of doom it talks about the creation of id software with uh romero and carmack and those guys um and you know it really was is they were they were forcing computers to do things that they were they were blazing a trail they this was 3d tech and games was something that no one had ever seen before um, and you really needed to be passionate because you needed to slam your face into a wall and come back for more. You know, anymore, that's, that's you know, people are still pushing boundaries in games. People are still exploring the outer limits of what's possible. So it's not to say that you don't need that passion. But games have become such a collaborative effort. You know, what used to take 10 guys, you know, now takes 100 people plus outsourcing. And so you really need to, um, I think, figure out what you want to do, like, saying I want to make games is, is really not enough there. It's tempting to say, well, like, I want to be the guy that comes up with the ideas. Cool. We all would. Uh, that's not a real <laughs> job. You know, if you're a designer, you need to be able to implement or you need to be able to uh, pro- uh, project manage or you need to be able to art designer. You need to be able to um, QA like there's there are so many specific skills. And so I think really is if you want to get into games, if that's your passion, if that's what you're interested in great do that pursue that but then figure out what about games it is that you like figure out what else you can do figure out what your skill set is um, and the good news is with games is that there's so many things that need to get done and they're so sophisticated now that you'd really be hard-pressed to develop a skill that would not be a welcome contribution at a, at a decent studio um, so you know i math is never going to hurt programming is never going to hurt but you know, I, I was a music major. Um, I, I don't tend to use my degree, but I do use it in terms of like, um, you know, I learned to perform. I learned to practice. I learned how to take criticism. Um, and I brought a lot of that with me into community management and marketing. Um, it, I think really it's just, you know, keep your keep your head down, keep your eyes up, um, act like an adult because there, God knows there's a lot of people who um, think that... Um, Working in games is all about pound and Mountain Dew and tighten up the graphics on level three, um, based and upon the Doritos, documentary. And Doritos. And Doritos. Don't Thank forget you, your Doritos. Geez. Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry. Got to get your gamer fuel. Um, well, after gamer watching food group. Yeah. <laughs> after watching the documentary film Grandma's Boy, you may believe that, but things have changed. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know one of the things, and I, I know I, I could talk forever about this, but the last thing I'll say is that I probably have in any given year, I would say between uh, 30 to 50 people come to me and say like, hey, I want to work in games and like are serious, not just like a passing like, oh, I'd love to work in games. Cool. Great. High five. But like really come to me and say like, hey, I want to work in games. What do I do? And the first thing I tell them is I'd love to help you. Here's my email address. Send me your resume. And based upon that, we'll go from there. And I am not kidding. I of the let's say I talk to 30 people in a year. I might get back four resumes. And then if I go to those people and say, okay, here's your resume, it's a hot mess because 
everyone's resume is a hot mess. Let's get this thing in the right shape. Call me up sometime. You set the time. You set the, give me your number and I will call you this week and we'll go through this and put your, put your, 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 the start of your career into perspective. And I would say one or two out of those four will actually follow up. So I'm not kidding. If you just show up, it's more than half the battle. If you just answer your email and act like a professional human being, it, it will open doors for you. Yeah. So, um, so to follow up, um, with that kind of line of thought, what do you find to be the most enjoyable part of this industry? Oh, that's a great question. I think the most enjoyable thing about working in games is that it is a truly collaborative endeavor. The The days of, I mean, you have your Stardew Valleys, you have your Minecrafts, but even then the, the, the days of a likely solo project are are not what they used to like. It's that, that's a different kind of way of making games. If you want to make, you know, a kind of more traditional game, if you want to make a game on the scale of like a Dauntless or, you know, God knows, like a Halo or something, right? Like it's going to take a village. And so the, the smartest people that I've met um, work in gaming, um, brilliant engineers, brilliant um, statisticians, um, incredibly talented artists, passionate uh, audio engineers, brilliant visionary business people um and games is one of the few things that i know of that brings all those people together not just under one roof but under one vision and it really is when it's going well and you're doing it right it really feels like you belong to a family it really feels like you're serving a a vision and that's that's a really really good feeling um and you know not to mention the games are fun right like going to packs and and being on the other side of the fence and just seeing all these people who you know, it's it's something that I, I really try to impress upon everyone I work with and, and that I talk to in the industry is, you know, PAX is um, in the middle of the March of the Cons, PAX, PAX West or PAX Prime or whatever they call it now, um, which means that, you know, your feet hurt and you're grouchy and you've been getting sick and your kids just went back to school and you're uh, you're, you know, you don't get to spend your Labor Day weekend with everybody and you're looking down the barrel at Gamescom and you just got done with E3 and your inbox is blowing up and you're trying to figure, you know, it's, it's a, it can be a drag, but you need to remember to look around and remember that, you know, for a lot of people who are going to PAX, that's the highlight of their year, man. And Dude, that's on my list. That's like on my, my bucket list for sure is PAX. Oh, it's great. It's, I mean, it's, it's one of the most welcoming, positive environments. And, yeah, I, uh, I've had friends that have gone, and I've, I've never heard a negative thing about my friends that have attended. No, there's nothing. It. Yeah, there's nothing bad about it. I mean, if you're exhibiting, your feet hurt. That's the worst thing, and you're tired. Um, and if you're you no, know, if you're busy, you know, you pack up at PAX and you get your ass to Germany for Gamescom, where you're tired and drunk. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you've got that going for you <laughs> at least. Um, but it's it's uh, man, it's what an honor, what a pleasure to to make something that really changes can can really change someone's life, can really inspire someone. Um, it's art and it's, it's important and it, it's going to, it makes a difference in people's lives and it's, it's an honor and a pleasure to be a part of it. Very cool. So you are a producer. Uh, what exactly is the job of a producer in the gaming industry? Oh man, if someone could tell me, I would really appreciate <laughs> it at this point. Now, uh, so the, the job of a producer can be different in different studios, but effectively, um, a producer is someone, so the kind where you kind of start is you say, okay. The product is here and it needs, it's, you're at A and you need to get to B. Um, and you need someone, you need a designer or a director to say, this is what we want to accomplish. And then the producer is someone that goes, great, 
I'm going to completely understand your vision. I'm going to understand what you want to accomplish. I'm going to be in there. And then I'm going to translate that into the, you've got the why and the what. I'm going to give you the how. And then by, I'm going to keep everyone on track and make sure that we're all pulling in the same direction. And as we explore that together as a producer, I'm going to identify opportunities um, and and opportunities for, for new ideas or for new teamwork, right? So it's like, hey, you know, we really wanted to make a new weapon. And as we were doing that, we were like, oh, it'd be really cool if we had dot, dot, dot. Oh, okay, now we can fold that in. Um, or for example, you know, I'm producing um, our upcoming Halloween event for Dauntless. Um, that's going to have a kind of light ARG component. Um, I'm effectively designing and implementing that, right? So it's it's kind of just saying, it's it's taking, it's, it's taking all the legwork of saying, you know, we know what we want to make. We know why we want to make it. Let's figure out how, and then on a day-to-day basis, just keep all the trains running on time. Very nice. Jeff? Um, I have a question. I don't, feel free not to answer this one, but it's something I'm I will answer any question. Okay. Um, oh, so, good, because I have a couple that I really was afraid of asking. And now so, Dauntless yeah. <laughs> definitely, uh, Dauntless definitely feels inspired by the Monster Hunter series. Um, oh, yeah. How do you balance being inspired with also having your own creative vision in the game where it feels new and fresh and different where it doesn't feel like a clone. Yeah. That's a really great question. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to kick it off with a story that I think you guys will enjoy. Um, So we, 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 when we started making Dauntless, well, when the, the, the guys that started Phoenix lab started making Dauntless, I came on a little later. A lot of it was they knew they wanted to make games together. They knew that they wanted to make something online and co-op. And they were like, oh, should we make this? Should we make that? And like, you know, everyone's playing what they're playing and a bunch of people are playing Monster Hunter and they're like, oh, this is great. And they're trying to get their friends into it and their their spouses into it and like everyone else they're playing. And it's like, you know, if you ever played Monster Hunter, great game, by the way, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out some of what I believe to be the flaws in the Monster Hunter formula. It's not to say it's not a great game. I love Monster Hunter. I've got hundreds of hours in it. I will almost assuredly um, agree with you. Yeah, like it's it's hard to hand a 3DS to your wife and say, you should play this with me. And 20 yep. minutes later, she's like, why am I collecting poop? And you're like, don't, <laughs> I know, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Like, you know, it's, uh, I think it's very Japanese game. I love Japanese games, but it's a very Japanese game and it's not for everybody. Um, and you can see the delta between, you know, the traditional Monster Hunter series and Monster Hunter World, right? Like they're trying to appeal to a Western audience. And, and we saw that opportunity too. And a lot of it was just... You know, I think Japanese games are maybe uh, they're they're it's changing, but they were not as focused on being social um, and approachability. The idea of approachability in the Japanese gaming market is not as big a deal, right? It's like no, no, no. Like like look at Death Stranding. Like I don't even I, I don't know what that game is. I'm gonna buy it because I'm a big Kojima boy. But like it's like a it's like what a, a wild delivery. Ride it looks like though, oh right, dude. But it's like a delivery service ladder extending piece with simulator. a baby. With a baby, with oily babies. Um, I don't know. I don't know what that game is, but I want it. But 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 in like, it's entirely impregnable conceptually. Doesn't matter. It's an art piece, right? Like, and Monster Hunter dialed back from that. It's kind of the same thing, right? Where it's like, no, no, no. You are a Monster Hunter in this world. Monster Hunters gather poop, and sometimes they go on hour long hunts that they fail, and they pick themselves up. And like, that's part of the aesthetic and and the process there, right? Um, for us, coming from where we came from at Phoenix Labs, which is a lot of us came from Riot and Bioware, EA, um, I, 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 you'd be hard-pressed, Blizzard, you'd be hard-pressed to find a prestigious studio that someone hasn't come from. 
you know, we, we knew how to take components of, um, okay, well, how do we make this immediately appealing and then bring what makes monster hunting, what makes hunting action RPGs magical, right? So we've got this, we've got the idea going, we're moving forward. It starts to feel good. And we go to PAX South and, uh, which was the first time we were showing the game in public. And this guy walks up, he's the show hasn't opened. He's exhibiting and I don't know what booth he's from, but who cares? Cause we're all so freaked out that I, he could have been Santa Claus and I wouldn't have noticed. And he walks up and he's like, Hey, could I play your game? Sure. Absolutely. Gets in their place. And we were doing this thing where it was like, well, if you play, you get entered into a drawing. And if you win our, uh, concept artist, our lead concept artist, Katie D'Souza, who's an amazing artist um, who worked on League of Legends and made Jinx and a bunch of other amazing characters. Um, she'll draw your portrait as a slayer, as, as, as a member of the world of Dauntless. And so I said, hey, man, you know, it's a while till the show opens. Do you want Katie to draw your portrait? He goes, oh, no, I don't think my employer would really appreciate that. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Okay, and he wanders away. So the next day he comes back and I'm talking. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks for playing. He's like, yeah, I really liked everything. He walks away again. Someone's like, dude, do you know who that is? I'm like, no. He's like, that's Yuri. He's the community manager for monster hunter america i was like oh, damn, oh. Cool. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yuri's great like yuri and i we always we always find each other at conventions and he brings me candy and i try to bring him something and you know we we uh we hang out outside of work we uh, yuri and his girlfriend we're all friends and we hang out and you know so people are always like oh you're a monster hunter I'm like, there's really no animosity we love the monster hunter guys and we hang out and we're friends with with many of them so um, but to, to more specifically answer your question outside of that rambling anecdote, um, I think the most important thing with a f when you start to make a game right is it's really tempting to say, okay, so, you know, what is this climax story moment? What is the story? To like, how are you going to get to this one moment? Um, making a game, there are a lot of other practical questions that are, that are strangely equally, that require kind of equally lateral and creative thinking, but are a little different, right? So you have to say like, you know, it's going to be free to play because we want as many people to play as possible. So what does that first 10 minutes look like? What does that hook look like to make people understand that um, they should invest their time? Because asking people to invest their time versus asking people to invest their money is two very different things. And, you know, how do we get people to invest their time, right? So if you're, if you're selling Monster Hunter, you're asking people to invest their money, which is totally worth 60 bucks. Heck, heck yeah, I got, you know, 200 hours out of it. I'm a happy camper, right? But if you've sunk 60 bucks into a game, you're much more likely to sit through a four to five hour tutorial, right? Because you're like, well, I'm pot committed. With a game like Dauntless, we knew that we needed to get players in and moving. Um, we needed to make sure the art style was exciting and approachable and vibrant and appealing. Um, so that when someone came in 20 minutes later, when they kind of are like have a chance to breathe, they don't log out, they don't leave, they get excited, they invite their friends. Um, and so we knew that we wanted the game to be fluid and fast paced. We wanted to round off some of the kind of rough edges that we saw um, around gathering and about, you know, what, what it means to fail a hunt and all these different things. Um, and we knew that we really wanted to build a world. We knew that we really wanted to bring people in, not just because they loved the gameplay or because um, they, they did felt, feel committed, but because they really felt part of an evolving world. Um, and that's something that we're continuing to push for. So um, I, I would say approachability is a big part of it. Um, and, mm -hmm. and the thing that's interesting to me is just how much of that is driven by a design choice, you know, just saying like, well, I like games that are dot, dot, dot versus saying, okay, but like practically as a free to play game, what do you need to accomplish to make sure that people have the experience that they need so that you can deliver the, the meat to them. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you didn't mention that I thought was what Dauntless really 
did a lot better than Monster Hunter was the multiplayer. Uh, oh, sure. I found Monster Hunter's multiplayer infinitely frustrating to do co-op. Uh, it seemed to require you to have beaten missions before. And I, I really like that it's just drop in. Come on, let's go. You know, and it, yeah. it doesn't feel as cumbersome. Well, thank you. And I think uh, it's interesting you should mention it because there's there's actually a few factors that drive that. So so one is, you know, as a free to play game, we want people to invite their friends. Um, and it's it's a hard sell if I look at you and go, OK, man, just download it. And then 20 hours, we're going to have a great time. Right. Like yeah. that's not that's not going to work. Um, <laughs> the other thing is that um, Phoenix, that's how games work these days, though. Yeah, right. it's true. No, I mean, it's like you can get a degree. Yeah, in, you have in to put games. in uh, three days before you get any enjoyment out of it. Exactly. I, I will never forget when Final Fantasy 13 came out and somebody unironically, I was like, should I play it? Do I play it? Somebody unironically looked at me and went, you know, after the 40 hour mark, it really opens up. And I just remember going like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That appeals to me. Um, <laughs> sure. That's how video games work. Um the, the other thing, too, is that at Phoenix Labs, a lot of us are, um, I think the average veterancy rate um, for being in the industry is about 10 years. A lot of people have been in the industry for a long time who work at Phoenix Labs. Um, and as a result, we skew a little higher in age um, and we skew a little higher in terms of people who have families. And uh, if you guys have kids, if you have families, um, you guys have day jobs, you understand that, you know, you don't you don't have 40 hours to to get to the meat of a game. You, you want to be able to jump in with your friends not agonize over matchmaking, not, you know, have to, you know, mark your calendars. You want to be able to jump in, jump out. Um, and that was a really big component for us with Dauntless. And then it also gets into gameplay where we tried to figure out, you know, like we need to make sure that like friendly fire isn't a thing because that is usually more frustrating. There's, there's, there's a, it's a design choice. It's not to say that that is a good or bad thing inherently, but for what we're trying to make, you know, friendly fire was not the right choice. Um, we spent a lot of time making sure that like if there's more than one slayer hitting a behemoth, like how do we kind of warp and slide the slayers around so that they're not obstructing each other um, and then figuring things out like, you know, how do you balance the need to collect gatherables on the island with the need to hunt the behemoth? Because if, you know, two people go off to gather, two people go off straight to the hunt. Now you've you've got this behemoth that's tuned for four slayers, but only two are fighting while everyone else is picking up lilies. It's a bad experience. So that that really is a core for us making sure that it's easy to get in easy to play with your friends um and then there are a lot of other design uh decisions that are informed by by that one choice all right elliot all right this is a long-winded question but you feel like the right kind of guy to ask this so i'm gonna do it <laughs> what does that mean all right yeah all right so here i go i'm gonna try and say this the right way without roll the dice elliot right, do it so, elliot correct me if i'm wrong but dauntless came out on pc first before the xbox and playstation right Yes. Yeah, so a lot of games are like that, right? Where you'll see it on PC first, and then it kind of ports its way to Xbox and PlayStation. And then maybe the Switch. Um, and it always seems like the Switch is the last one. But, like, what's the process of that? Like, do you are you basically just kind of copying it from PC to Xbox and, you know, PlayStation? Or, or do you have to rebuild a lot of stuff to port it over? You know, what's That's that whole thing like? Because it always seems like Switch is last. And my real question is... When is this game coming to the Switch? I know it's coming to the Great Switch. Question. Just tell me. Tell me, <laughs> sure. Ian. Tell me, Ian. I yeah. need to know. Ian, uh, I need to know. <laughs> it's coming this winter. You're going to have it on Switch before the end of the year. 
Um, and to do my diligence, Jesse, Nick, if you guys are listening, I'm going to be a good boy. Uh, just as a reminder, if you are playing on any platform, it's one account. So if my if I'm which playing I on love, Xbox, by the way, yeah, because I played it great, when we right? re- re- reviewed it. I played it on PC and PlayStation. And I loved that. Yeah, you're all of your. It's one character, or you have your account, right? So if I've played ten hours on yeah. PC and I go over to PlayStation, I pick up exactly where I left off, and it's totally crossplay. So you can play with if your friend has an Xbox and you have a PlayStation, or your friend has a Switch, you guys can all play together. Um, and and we're thrilled to be coming to Switch um, in in uh, in December. I think I can say it. we're coming on December. It's going to be great, and oh, uh, I'm beyond excited. We got it. Got the scoop. I think I yeah. budget arcade uh, but, exclusive. Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. The the trick. The, I think you know the trick when it comes to like porting or or getting a version is you have your game files. You know, so you have like Dauntless.exe, and the trick is just changing that .exe to like .xbox or .ps4, and then you're done. It just you then you drag it over the PlayStation, and you're all done. It's very simple. It takes about ten minutes. I don't know why more people don't do it faster. It's a very smooth process. No, in all seriousness, it, it's a lot of work. Um, so the reason a lot of people start off on PC is that um, really, I think, and I could be, I, I'm not, this is not really my neck of the woods, but I think that I've absorbed a lot of this through osmosis is um, a lot of it boils down to requirements. Um when you're talking about the pe- probably easier to debug and everything. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. Um, I mean, any more, you know, like, the when you look at a dev kit, it the what a dev kit is when you're making a game is a lot different than it used to be. It used to be that a dev kit was a very specific, strapped down, you know, proprietary box, um, and only did certain things and yada yada yada. And and more and more they kind of start to look like PCs that come in like cool looking wrappers. Um, so debugging is one of those things where yeah, it, it can be a little trickier, um, but a lot of it comes down to requirements, right? Where it's like okay, if the PC market is you know, running where like the average graphics card is like an 800 or a 900 series graphics card. And most people have like a, you know, core i5 processor. And like they most, a lot of people have, you know, like 16 gigs around. It's like, oh, okay, you can start to figure out what it, and, and, uh, game making is not sloppy, but there is a time for designing and making and implementing. And then there's a, there's a time for refinement and for optimization and optimization is time consuming. And it's always a question of, you know, how much is too much, right? Cause it's like, you could, you could spend, an extra week squeezing one or two more frames out. Is it worth it? Um, when it comes to like consoles, then it starts to become a question of, it's like, okay, you know, nothing against our friends uh, in the console market. We love it. We're completely honored and proud to be on these on these consoles. Um, but, you know, these things have been around for what now, like eight years or something. And so, you know, especially the base models, they're a little long in the tooth. And so the amount of optimization you need you need to do versus you want to do is different. Um, and so if you start on PC, it's a little easier to just, there, there's just, there are fewer constraints, there's fewer um, rules, and it's just easier to say like, you know what, we're going to make it run. Here's here's the, the chunk of people we're targeting. Here's how many there it needs to run well. Great, go get them. And then once you're happy with it, you can start the process of optimizing it. And I, and I do think that's why you tend to see products come to the Switch later is because the Switch, um, well, probably my favorite current console um, has the least horsepower. And so it, it just takes longer for companies to optimize games to the point where they will run smoothly and, and run well. Yeah. Comes down to a lot of practicality. And the, the one thing I will say that that's kind of changed the game for a lot of people on that though, is the pervasiveness of things like Unreal Engine, um, which is what we use or like Unity, right? Where 
Um, those right, right. they they're thinking about that right and the engine has will will help you out to that end um, and the other thing too right is like even if the engine's not helping you out or even if there's something wonky you can get to a place where it's like okay well other people are doing this in unreal what did they do and, and usually people are pretty happy to share that knowledge do you guys think of like next gen consoles now too like are you thinking of that as you're making the game like the new playstation and xbox that's a really good question. Um, I, I would say, I think we think about it um, in abstract for us, you know, as a free-to-play game that you can get right now, we're mostly thinking about those people. And, and what we know from experience, right, is that the overlap between um, whatever the next PlayStation, whatever the next Xbox, whatever the next Nintendo thing is going to be, what, whatever the next consoles are, you do start to think about that, but you, you know, don't forget that it's not like, Okay, there's a PlayStation 4. Let's let's say the PlayStation 5 or whatever they decide to call it comes out. And uh, it's not like everyone who had a PlayStation 4 goes out and buys a PlayStation 5, right? Like you right, still right, have right. to, there's that overlap, right? Um, and especially since we are a worldwide game, you also have to think about places like South America where like an Xbox is a luxury that would cost you probably two months worth of rent. Um, we don't want to, anyone who loves gaming enough to do that. Like we don't want to leave those people behind. Yeah. And so uh, it's, you, you do think about it, but I think that the, I think that like, usually if you're kind of keeping an eye on what benchmarking looks like for the PC market, I think those things kind of come into place. But um, I, I would assume at this point that, that people who are selling in retail, you know, like whoever's working on the next Call of Duty or the next whatever, I assume, I, I do not know to be totally clear, but I would assume that they have dev kits for the next consoles, that they're thinking about that in a really big way. Um, but for us right now, we're just really focused on making the game the best it can be for um, the people who are playing it and, and all the other people that will uh, hopefully discover Dauntless very soon. Cool. Very cool. Nice. Um, so in preparation for this, I went on your LinkedIn profile and did a little browsing. Um, oh, sure. I noticed that you used to work for EA. Uh, how did that differ working for EA as a big name company and then going to Phoenix Labs? That is a great question. Um, it's a huge difference. Um, when I started working at EA, someone told me that the most valuable thing you're going to learn is how to work at EA. And I didn't understand what that meant until much later. I mean, when you when you work... When you work at a really big company like EA, things like email, things like presentations, things like uh, interdepartmental politics, they're very real. And it's not that that is that's that's just part of working at a big company. That's part of being a human being. When you get enough human beings into a situation where they need to work together naturally, inherently, there are there are different there are different advantages and disadvantages. Right. Like if you want to make uh, a blockbuster game that's going to sell, you know, 18 million copies in a month and push the envelope for technology and presentation and, you know, be the kind of like Michael Bay equivalent of gaming, you're going to have to go with a company like EA who has the resources and the money and the wherewithal and the knowledge to do those things and, and to publish that and to make it work. Um, that being said, you're going to then also need to, as an employee, look forward to spending at least half your day in meetings. Um, you're going to need to understand how to work with people you're never going to meet. You need to understand how to work on international timelines. Like I worked on Battlefield, so I worked a lot with DICE. So I knew that if I could, I should get into the office early and really, really buckle down for the first two or three hours of the day because that's when DICE was awake and working. Um, and it's it's working at Phoenix Labs, right, where we're all in the same building effectively. 
Um, we, we do have an office in San Mateo. We have some folks in Seattle. Um, but for most people I work with, they're all, they're all in Burnaby. They're all in, in, uh, outside of Vancouver. Um, you know, it's, it's a more of a family atmosphere, you know, like I know the names of everyone I work with. Um, I know the names of most of their kids. Um, we all play fighting games together. We all play board games together. If someone gets sick, we take care of each other. If someone needs a ride, we give each other a ride. It, it really is a family atmosphere. That's a choice. I mean, the guys that founded Phoenix Labs, Sean and Jesse and Robin, I mean, these are guys who worked, um, Jesse worked at Bioware, Robin worked at Bioware, you know, uh, working on games like Mass Effect, um, huge franchises at EA. Um, Sean and Jesse and Robin all worked at Riot, um, making League of Legends, you know, arguably the biggest game in the world. Definitely one of the biggest games in the world. At one point for sure, and right? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to kind of say, and it's it's hard to say, like, you know, is that by money or by players or by, you know, who knows? Well, hell, like, it's hard to say, I mean, like, we filled an arena full of people to watch a video exactly. game. Like, how do you argue against that, right? It, exactly right. I mean, and it's like, if you had to name the top five, it's in the top five. Um, it, it, you know, you could argue, you could make a pretty compelling argument towards number one. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, basically, this is a huge company. Um, and, you know, they could have gone anywhere. They could have done anything. And what they chose was to found a studio um, where the, the, the goal was that you could show up, you could do the best work of your career, and that you would work with people who you want to work with for the rest of your life. Um, and, and I think we've done a, a pretty damn good job of that so far. And it's, it's a pleasure coming into work every day. Um, you know, it's working on a game is not unlike being in a trench sometimes when things, when the chips are down and everyone's working hard and you're trying to really, really make a difference. Um, and knowing that the guy next to you in the trench has your back is a really, really big deal. So I, I love it. I, I, I don't know that I would go back to, um, big game JPEG, but you know, it's, if there's, it's different strokes for different folks, man, it's, it's a, it, you're going there to, it, you're going there to make something else. Yeah, no, so, all right, we're done with these professional questions. Time to ask some nerdy <laughs> ones. All right. And dig in. So, <laughs> what, all right, first game that pops in your mind. Don't think about it. What's your favorite game okay. of all time? Uh, Sui Coden 2. Okay. What are you playing right now? Uh, Astral Chain. And what's like coming it? out that you can't wait for? Death Stranding. That's my nerd I question, so I'm done. Yeah, I think I I don't know what that means. We talked about Japanese games. Maybe that's where my head's at right now. Do you but like I, Astral I, Chain, man? I I can't decide if I want to play that or not. It's really good. It's um, it's a hybrid of a lot of different kinds of games. There's a lot of really good ideas. I find it's hard um to kind of like pick up and get into really quickly. Like when I power on my Switch, um, usually it's because I'm kind of tired. Um, like I'm also playing Borderlands. Uh, and I'm really liking that, and I'm always playing Magic. Um. And then I like if I'm tired and I'm just kind of like, OK, like I'm going to get in bed and play for a little bit before I go to sleep. I flip on my switch. It's like, OK, so here's Super Mario Maker. Here's Tetris. Here's Astral Chain. Here's Picross. And then like, you know, Katamari and whatever else. Um, man, it's like I know if I open up Astral Chain, it's I'm going to be I'd like, you know, I need to figure out what I was doing. And then like the mission's going to take an hour and there's going to be narrative and characters like, oh, it's emotional investment. Or I could turn on Tetris and zone out for like mm. half an hour and be totally good to go. Right? So it's trail. good. Yeah, it's good. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an RPG, right? Like it's got some meat on it, but it's, I mean, it's platinum games, man. It's a great game. So are you, you talking like that and I experienced the same thing and I, I'm guessing the way you've talked, you have children. 
I I do not have children, okay. um, but I but I do have uh, I do live within walking distance to the office, so I, I tend to work a little late. Oh, okay. Well, the reason I was asking is because that's how I feel when I when I pull up the Switch or I pull up my Xbox, and okay, there's Gears of War Five, which I'll have to do like you said, remember where I was. Or I've yep. got Enter the Gungeon on here, which is a roguelike, so I just press start. It's a fresh game. It's all action. I play for 45 minutes and I'm done. And that's kind of, as an adult with a kid, it's like where I am now. I just need something that starts and I can just put down later and not have to think about it. Yeah, no, it's it's true. And it's, it's, it's actually, it's funny you mention it. Like if you talk to a lot of people in the industry, it's something that they're trying to figure out. Um, you know, like they know that there's a hunger for like Destiny was a game that like really showed the industry like, no, if you if you get these compelling experiences like these raids together and you give people an opportunity to, you know, to hang out with their friends that they maybe don't get a chance to hang with outside of work. Like if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the industry is really trying to crack the nut on like, OK, how do we make these really deep, compelling experiences that are pick up and play? that don't require, you know, a bachelor's degree to, to understand. And it's, it's, it's an interesting problem to solve. It's, it's definitely the, the nature of who's playing games, why they're playing games, how long they're playing games and who they're playing with is, is changing. And it's, it's pretty cool to see. Awesome. Uh, Elliot, anything else for you? All right. I'm tapped out as well. Uh, Ian, I appreciate you coming on the show. It was awesome to have you. Yeah. What a pleasure. Yeah. Anytime you guys need anything, uh, if you need an uninformed opinion, just hit me up. Yeah. That's what they All have right. me for. You're I trying ho- to. I hope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope with your uh, with Phoenix's Labs next free to play game, you'll uh, think of us whenever it's time to review it. Certainly, it'll be a Enter the Gungeon, Zelda. What else? What other games did we talk about? Death Stranding oh, Hybrid, dude, and we'll get you guys. Oh an Lord! Toy with my emotions like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to go back in time and chainsaw your way through oily babies. It's going to be great. Oh, oh, God. I don't know if that's good for me. I'm out. <laughs> oh, it's the future of games. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. <laughs> don't fight it. Speaking of going back in time, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of the uh, lore in Dauntless as far as uh, the original world before it got destroyed. Yeah, I, it's, it's a mysterious place, what the world was before um, the upheaval happened. It's a mysterious place. We are going to start to kind of... Uh, explore that for sure. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that because I uh, I think it was Wednesday of last week we actually had a big meeting where one of the uh, upcoming seasons we're going to do, uh, I think we're going to kind of uh, dip our toe into that a little bit. So you'll have to let me know what you think. You'll have to let me know if you like. All right, will do. Yeah, I, I'm still playing the game quite regularly. I think I'm the only one who of us. I'm really waiting for, for the Switch. I really just want to play it in my bed. It's going to be great on Switch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think once it goes to Switch, Elliot will actually play it more often with yeah. me, and I'll have to carry him for quite a while before he gets to the I level. I mean, we only played a little bit together out. the week we played, but it was, I mean, I was on PlayStation, you were on Xbox. It was easy. It was so easy. It was really, I, I mean, Fortnite does a really good job of that, too, of the crossplay, but Dauntless was, like, right up there with it, too. Even the, like, chat was really well done. I was surprised by how well it was. Oh yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I mean, we the word seamless gets thrown around a lot, but that is that is our goal is that you know you want to play with your friends. You don't want to, you know, juggle anything, right? Like you just want to make it work and have a good time. Yeah, for sure. I, I would, however, like to see a budget arcade flair in the game. <laughs> I th- I think we could figure that out. That's oh, not too boy. tough. That's Scott. <laughs> 
Oh, come on. We'll all queue up and then throw up our flares. Yeah, and that would be, that everybody would be, be like, what the hell's Budget Arcade? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't I don't think uh, that's outside the realm of possibility. Make sure, make bother Nick, we'll get that done. All right. All right, we want to thank everybody for joining us. If you're listening on iTunes, we ask that you would leave us a review. If you're listening on Spotify, also you can leave us a review there as well. Make sure that you... Subscribe to us. That way you never miss an episode. Uh, you can follow us on all our social medias. Uh, we are on Twitter at Budget Arcade. We have a Facebook page that is facebook.com slash Budget Arcade. And we have an Instagram, which is at Budget Arcade. We also have a website, budgetarcade.com. All the places. And Scott, what are we playing next week? Next week we will be playing Mario Kart Tour on mobile. Should be interesting. That's one word to use. <laughs> well, you know, Nintendo, the last few mobile games we played, kind of missed the I mark, if, like you, if you're asking me. Yeah, you're a Nintendo homer, yeah. we know. I, I am, I, I am. I am. No shame. <laughs> All right, music is by Stimage, and you can download his music at metroidmetal.com. Thank you for joining us, and game on. Thank you.